Ecclesiastes 5 today, verses 8 through 17. I titled the message, A Serious Talk About Money in a Sin-Cursed World. (coughs) Parents often have to have a serious talk with their young people. When kids are really little, parenting is almost kind of easy. I said almost there. (laughs) It depends on the kid and how many you have, trust me. Um, When they're little, you just say, don't do it. And when they rebelliously say, why? Well, then you apply the Board of Education. They get older, and through this whole process of raising and rearing your children, through this whole process, you're you're teaching your kids. um, The goal is to bring them up to be godly, godly adults. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is not to keep them children. Amen. See, not only did I ask you for a raise of hand, but I asked for an amen. Um, The goal is to help them to learn, to grow, to have wisdom. And so the older they get, the more long discussions you need to have. Explaining the why. Doing it patiently. And that's not always easy. Um. Helping them understand. And so sometimes you frequently, as a parent, have to, okay, we just need to sit down and talk right now. Talk about whatever the issue might be. Do you understand? And when you're, here's a, here's a parenting tip. When your young person says, yes, I understand, don't be satisfied with that. Ask probing questions. Well, what about this situation? How about this? Or why should you do this? I don't know. I just talked about it. Weren't you listening? Yeah. Were you listening? Okay. This is part of it. So what Solomon has here for us is a serious talk about money. A serious talk about money in a sin-cursed world. Solomon wrote this book to show that while life in a fallen world makes no sense from fallen man's perspective, He'll never find true meaning in it. When you fear the Lord, when you trust in him, you can carefully, judiciously, rightly, you can enjoy the things of this life in God's creation. This particular section had its beginning back in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 22, Solomon said, Man should rejoice in his own works, for that's his heritage. He told us in chapter 4, about different circumstances that keep you from enjoying your work. Here in chapter 5, he's telling you what can keep you from enjoying the fruits of your work or the earnings or the results of your work. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, we looked at the first one of four. Today we'll look at 2, 3, and 4. But the first one in verses 1 to 7 is that if you have... A rash worship of the Lord. You don't care about him. It says at the end of verse 6, God can destroy the work of your hands. God can cause rash worshipers to lose their riches. Now, verse 8, Solomon will help us see three other ways in a sin-cursed world that you can be kept from enjoying the fruits of your labor. It's a serious talk. Verses 8 and 9. 
If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. The first point Solomon makes here, number one, is that your wealth can be taken by an unjust government. Your wealth can be taken by an unjust government. And we'd all be ready to say it amen to that one, wouldn't we? Let's dig into this. He says in verse 8, when he says, don't marvel at the matter, the idea is, number one, don't be shocked about bad government. Don't be shocked about bad government. God created government all the way back to Genesis chapter 9 after the flood. God speaks about it several times in Scripture. A key passage would be Romans 13. Read that sometime. Romans 13, I think like verses 1 through 7. And in Romans 13, God tells us two main purposes for government. The two main purposes he has for human government is number one, to protect citizens. Protect citizens from evildoers. A second purpose of government is to punish evildoers. Those are the two reasons God has for human government. Protect its citizens and punish evildoers. God says in Romans 13, in order for government officials to do their work, that's why you have taxes. And so pay your taxes so the government can protect you and punish evildoers. Now right away, you're going to be thinking about What about this text? What about what they're doing? That's the point. Government gone astray. Why is that? Because everyone in government is a sinner. I mean, God established marriage, didn't he? Yeah. And marriage is good, isn't it? Yeah. Therefore, every marriage is perfect? No. Why not? Because both the husband and the wife are what? Sinners, same thing with government. It's an institution created by God, but yet because it has sinners in it, there are problems. And because of that, we read some specific things here. We read about the oppression of the poor, verse 8. They have nothing, but yet they're oppressed by those who have much. They should be receiving justice and righteousness. But justice and righteousness are not carried out. It's violently perverted. Maybe we can do something about it. And then we have the end of verse 8. High official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. They're all watching over each other. They're watching their backs, watching each other's wallets and purses. So this official who's oppressing you, He's got someone over him who's oppressing him and and all the way up the line. And they all want their due. And the guy at the bottom, the poor person who doesn't have anything left except to kick his dog. And as the proverb goes, he goes and kicks his dog. The, The dog then mad go bites the king and it goes on down the line. Your wealth is taxed and stolen at every turn. 
Hold your place here, and I want us to see that this was described also by another prophet, Samuel. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. So back up in your Old Testaments. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Israel had come through a period where they had God-appointed judges, but they didn't want that. They wanted to be like the other nations. We want a king so we can be like the other nations. Samuel then told them, this is what's going to happen. He summarizes sinful human government here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. You can see this official watches over official. Verse 15. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Go back now to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We might say, well, the United States government is, it's the, it, it's the perfect government because we have a series of checks and balances, Right? We have the Supreme Court, we have the judiciary, we have uh, Congress and the Senate, we have the executive branch. I mean, we have this series of checks and balances uh, so that it protects us from unjust, wrong government. We have a perfect government, don't we? We don't. Why? Because whether it's the judicial or Congress and Senate, or the executive branch, it's populated with what kind of person? Sinners. It's sinners. And they're watching over one another. The problem is not God's ordinances. It's man's sinfulness. And number two in verse nine, moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. The point of this, number two, is that good harvests benefit everyone when there's good government. Qualification there. Good harvests benefit everyone when there's good government. This is a proverb. You have good government, you'll have good harvests, and that everyone profits from, all the way up to the king. We need to understand a statement, and it's what? It's context. And the context here, the context is that of bad government. Government always wants more. It will enact all kinds of legislation to get more of your produce. 
And as it enacts more legislation to get more of your produce, there's going to be less for you and less for everyone else. Does that sound familiar? Think about rising taxes, social things that we have, all that. That's uh, an illustration of that. Another illustration of bad, oppressive, uh, wicked government, you could write down, we're not going to turn to it, 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. Israel's king was a guy by the name of Ahab. And right away you think, that was not a good guy, and you're thinking of Moby Dick. (laughs) Well, not that one. Ahab, Moby Dick was named after Ahab of the Bible. Ahab was a wicked king. And what made him really bad was not only his own idolatry, but the wife that he married. He married this Sidonian woman named Jezebel, and she was devoted to idolatry. She was wicked, and she had a negative, bad, sinful influence on Ahab. Ahab wanted this vineyard that was belonged to a man uh, named Naboth. Uh, but Naboth said, no, this is mine. Um, this is mine. It's, it's my inheritance. And in the Old Testament, uh, they, they had that uh, given to them by God uh, so that they would have it for generations and generations. Um, Naboth had this vineyard. Ahab wanted it. He said, I'll give you money for it. Um, But Naboth said, no, I'm not going to give my inheritance to you. If you remember the story, Ahab didn't say, oh, well, I tried. Ahab threw a fit, laid down on the floor, kicking, screaming, I didn't get it. And Jezebel said, hold on, I'll take care of it for you. Had a banquet for Naboth, had false False witnesses come saying he cursed God. And so they followed the law and then took him out and stoned him to death. And Ahab went along happily skipping down his way and got his new vineyard. He used his position to oppress the citizenry. Sadly, big government means lots of sinners and that usually results and poor citizens. And Solomon should know because what was his occupation? He was a king, wasn't he? And sadly, government, which God created to protect you, it's often perverted by sinners to oppress you. Boy, what a downer, huh? So let's put a good news sticker on this from the rest of Scripture. Praise the Lord, we have a hope of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth. And when Jesus Christ comes to earth, he will establish his kingdom, a government. And who's going to be at the head of that government? He will be, and he is sinless. It will be a perfect government, a thoroughly just government an entirely righteous government. And we have that to look forward to. Until then, Christian, how do we need to respond? Three points. I'm putting my application, instead of at the end of the message, I'm putting it after each point today. Three points of application from this. Some scripture for each. First, Romans 13, 7. You must pay your taxes. You must pay your taxes. Render their due 
It says there in Romans 13, 7. Don't try to, uh, especially don't uh, break the law, report on your taxes the things that you're supposed to do. Number two, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. 1 Peter 2, verse 17. It says there, honor the king. 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor the king. We might respond, you don't know who our, as it were, king is, our president. We are not going to honor him. He's not my king. Well, who is Peter's king then? The Roman emperor who is a deity in people's minds, who is a tyrant, and he said to God's people, honor him. Doesn't mean you agree with what he's doing, but for that position, you must show honor. Christian, be careful of the words that you say about our government leaders. God will judge you for every word that comes out of your mouth. Number three, 1 Peter 2.13. 1 Peter 2.13, you must submit to laws. 1 Peter 2.13, you must submit to laws. There it says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I don't, this law is foolish, makes no sense. I'm not going to obey it. Okay, finish the sentence then. You're not going to obey it for the Lord's sake. Ooh, that doesn't sound too good, does it? We must obey for the Lord's sake. Pay your taxes, honor the king, submit to laws, and yet don't be surprised when the government does wrong. Don't be shocked at that. Number two, the second point of Solomon's serious talk, verses 10 to 12. Here he says, number two, your wealth can be unappreciated. That's your blank there. Your wealth can be unappreciated because of your covetousness. Your wealth can be unappreciated. You won't appreciate what you have if you're covetous, he's saying here. When you're covetous, verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10. Did I put verse 9 in your handout? That should be verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When you're covetous, number one, the more wealth you get, the more wealth you'll want. When you're covetous, the more wealth you get, the more wealth you will want. 1 Timothy 6.10, write that down. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't mean money is evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, a lot of evil is going to come as a result of that and grow from it. That's the idea of a root, all kinds of fruit that's going to come. Here you have one who's covetous. He loves silver. He loves abundance, but yet he's not ever going to be satisfied with it. They never get to enjoy their wealth because they always want what? More. Never satisfied. Always want more. Where does that come from? doesn't come from God. It comes from our sin nature. Covetousness is a sin. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not covet. Loving money never brings fulfillment. Why does loving money never bring fulfillment? Because you'll never have enough. 
and you'll always want more. Solomon's response, that would make uh, gaining much wealth and yet you always want, you know, when, 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 you, when you gain wealth and you're never satisfied with it, that makes no sense. That's what's meant by this also is vanity. It makes no sense. It's incomprehensible. God's blessed you with this and you're not thankful for it. You're not satisfied with it. You're not content with it because you want more. That makes no sense. It's foolish. When you're covetous, we have verse 11. Yep, the verse, wrong verse numbering continues here. When goods increase, verse 11, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? Number two, when you're covetous, the more wealth you get, the more headaches you'll have. The more wealth you get, the more headaches you'll have. Wealthy have to continually keep an eye on their wealth. Um, the more wealth there is, the more people there are, the more expenses there'll be, the more bills that will come, the more people who want your money, creditors, distant family, long lost friends. You know, I haven't heard from hardly anyone in my high school graduating class for decades I'm not going to say if I won the lottery because I don't play the lottery and you shouldn't either. It's a form of gambling. I like what one man said. Uh, uh, playing the lottery, it's a tax on the poor. It's not the way to use the money that the Lord has given you. If I came into, perhaps, through some inheritance, or if one of you said, Pastor, we love you so much, here's $10 million. Wow. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Could it be that some of those high school uh, friends would suddenly show up on my doorstep? Asked to be my friend on Facebook. Dan, how's it going? I really miss you. It's been so long. Yeah, you see where they're coming from. Where were you all these other years? The more you make, the more expenses and bills there are. You start to have employees and pool boys and insurance uh, tax collectors, unexpected bills, litigation, fraud, burglary. You know, poor people never have to worry about burglary because they don't have anything. More and more is accumulated. More problems come. It's kind of like a snowball effect. Now, snowballs are hard to remember because we had a pretty weak winter, didn't we? But think back to a snowball, the whole idea. You start with a little, you push it through the snow, and eventually it gets what? Bigger, okay? And that's what frequently happens with somebody who's greedy and covetous, who wants more money, he gets more problems. The greedy, wealthy are consumed by the world. And ironically, they don't get to truly enjoy what they have because they're never satisfied. Then verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. When you're covetous, number three, the more wealth you get, the less sleep you'll enjoy. The less sleep you'll enjoy. People think, boy, my life would be so much easier if I had more money. 
I'll have a better life. Well, there is a sense in which part of that's true. I mean, when you have sufficient money, you don't worry, where's my next meal going to come from? You don't worry about, how am I going to do this car repair? You're not concerned about health issues because the money's there. Shelter, uh, going without, things like that. But that's not what this is talking about, is it? This is talking about a covetous person who never satisfied with what they have. They want more and more and more. And in contrast with the, the covetous person, we have the laboring man. His sleep is sweet, whether he eats little or much. He works hard, but he sleeps good. Why? He doesn't have much in this world that he has to worry about, that he has to guard and protect. And so he sleeps peacefully. In contrast, the covetous wealthy don't sleep well. They're worried about the stock market. Who's going to take my money? What's going to happen to this and that? Some points of application. Three points of application for us from number two. First, 1 Timothy 6, 8 and Hebrews 13, 5. 1 Timothy 6, 8 and Hebrews 13, 5. Christian, be content with what you have. This doesn't mean don't work hard. It doesn't mean don't try to uh, you, you don't, don't be foolish with your money. You should be wise with your money. It is given by God. You must be a careful steward of what God has entrusted to you. But you must be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Second passage, Colossians 3.5. Colossians 3.5. Do not be covetous. That is idolatry. You're devoting your life to something in this world. And Christian, who are you supposed to devote your life to? The Lord Jesus. That's who you're supposed to live for. Yes, we work to supply our needs, to make sure bills are paid, and food is, uh, uh, we have food and, and clothing and shelter. But don't be covetous. That is idolatry. Number three, Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28 Work hard and give thanks. Ephesians 4.28. That one might not be as familiar to us, so let me read that for you. Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Work hard. Save up your money. When you have a brother or sister in need, they're without something. You're able to meet that need. And how will they respond? They're not going to respond to brother and sister with what took you so long. But they're going to respond with, thank you, Lord. And that gives praise to God. Work hard and give thanks. Number three, verses 13 to 17. Your wealth can be lost through an unanticipated calamity. Your wealth can be lost through an unanticipated calamity. Verse 13. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his own hurt. Now, uh, I think a better translation 
here is riches kept by their owner. The Hebrew preposition there is better understood as by their owner. That helps us see what's being Solomon is getting at here. A severe evil, which I've seen under the sun, riches kept by their owner to his own hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this is a severe evil. The idea is it's a great tragedy, which I'll explain in a bit. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Solomon says that you can have much wealth, but you can lose it through an unanticipated calamity. Number one, you can aim to be wealthy and then lose it all. You can aim to be wealthy and then lose it all. He says, verse 13, there is a severe evil which I've seen under the sun. Uh, we hear the word evil and we think, you know, horns, uh, wickedness. Well, it can mean that, but words have meaning in their contexts, okay? And the idea of this is that it is, it's a misfortune. It's a calamity. It's a disaster. It's not a moral situation. So this is a, a, a hard, difficult tragedy, misfortune. And what is the misfortune? End of verse 13. Riches kept by their owner to his own hurt. The sad thing is, is that when people hoard their money, that is a calamity. When they hoard their money, it's a calamity. Especially, beginning of verse 14, those riches perish through misfortune. Situations providentially arise that result in losing everything that you just worked for and that you're clinging to. Like what kinds of situations? Well, there can be a political situation that causes you to lose everything. There can be a stock market crash. There can be a change in technology that causes you to lose almost everything. I'll give you an example. Anybody here invest in 8-track tape players? Now, most of my congregation here is looking at me like, 8-track? What in the world are you talking about? Those of us who know, remember 8-track, don't we? My dad had one in his VW Bug. Remember those things? Sewing machine for an engine. Little to no heat. Uh, yeah. Dad had this great big eight-track tape, great big plastic thing, and you stick it in there. They didn't last very long. Couldn't compete with the cassette tape. Some of you kids might wonder, what's a cassette tape? What's a CD? When you, if you invested in that stuff and put, you put all your money in it, this is it, and then... You lost it all. That's a calamity, isn't it? That's an example. Another situation that can providentially arise is bad health. Bad health. You get sick. Come up with cancer. Or some disease. And it costs a ton of money to treat it. And it's got to come from somewhere. And you can lose everything. And that is a sickening situation when a man who had everything lost it all. 
The man's problems began with a hoarding attitude, a selfish attitude here, a materialism. He's living for things instead of recognizing that that's a tool for living. Important truth to remember, Christian. Money and the things that you have, it is a tool for living for the Lord. It is not why you live. It is a tool for living for the Lord. There are two sad results that come. Rest of verse 14 and verse 15. Rest of verse 14, when he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. So this guy, he was a hoarder, he was selfish, and he lost it all through some providential reason, and he finally gets an heir. But what's the bad situation? Not only does he have no money for himself, for his own food, but he has nothing to leave for his son. No inheritance to leave. He's lost it all. Nothing to live on, no inheritance. A second bad result, verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. He shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This might sound familiar to you, You might say, boy, it seems like I've heard that before. Yeah, it's Job talks about it. Naked, I came from the womb, and naked I'll return. And Paul says it also in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Um, Your earthly wealth stays on earth. That's a second sad result. If you're a hoarder, you lose it all. Well, it was never yours permanently to begin with. Some say that there are two sure things in uh, human life. What are those two sure things? Death and taxes. I would say, well, that's almost always the case, but you know what? There are some individuals who don't have to pay taxes for whatever reason. But what is the one thing that is always sure? Death. It is appointed unto man to die. And after this, the judgment. And so as a result, consequently, number three, living for wealth brings only misery. Living for wealth brings only misery. He says in verse 16, this also is a great, a severe evil, a great tragedy. As exactly as he came, so he shall go. What profit has he who's labored for the wind? He entered the world with nothing, he'll leave with nothing. If that's the case, what ultimate advantage comes from his living for wealth? I mean, he's devoting his life to something that can only be enjoyed in this life, and he doesn't even enjoy it, and he can lose it all. When your aim in living is to get rich, and you expectedly lose everything, what's the result from that? Verse 17. All his days he also eats in darkness, He has much sorrow and sickness and anger. All his days full of darkness and disappointment and suffering and bitter anger. And that is a great tragedy. Makes no sense. Application. Christian, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'd like you all to turn with me for these points of application, uh, these three points, to Matthew chapter 6 in your New Testament. Matthew 6, verse 24. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Number one, Christian, you can't live for God and money. It's impossible. If you say you're going to do it, you end up serving only one of them. And if you say you're going to live for God and the things of this world, guess what will always win out? The things of this world. Does that mean money has no purpose? Well, what did I say earlier? It's a tool. It's a tool to help us serve the Lord, live for him, make sure our daily needs are met, help others spread the gospel, things like that. You can't live for God and money, though. Number two, verses 25 to 30. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Number two, Christian, trust the Lord for your needs. Trust the Lord for your needs and don't worry or be anxious. Trust the Lord for your needs and don't worry or be anxious. Well, there, you know, I can just kind of go do my job and I don't really have to pay attention to my finances because God's going to meet my needs. I mean, he says it right here. Well, remember what I said earlier. God entrusts that money to you. It is a tool And you must be a good steward of it. So, have a budget. Don't, definitely don't live above your means. I would encourage you, don't even live at your means. Live under your means. Why? Because you don't know what politics are going to come, what disasters are going to come around, what technological changes there might be, or what health issues. Live under your means. Save. Be a good steward of the finances that God has given you. Trust the Lord for your needs. Number three, verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, the unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Number three, don't live for material riches. Live for eternal riches. Don't live for material riches. Live for, whoops, don't live for material riches. Live for eternal riches. Use the material money you have 
for eternal gain. And what's great about that is it doesn't matter how much you bring in. Remember when Jesus and his disciples were at the temple and his disciples were marveling at how much money people were bringing in? And then there came this little old widow and she just dropped in the tiniest, smallest coin that they had in their currency. We would say a penny. And what did Jesus say? She gave more than what those other people gave. She has reward in heaven. It's not about the amount. It's about your faith, your motivation, your character. Whatever God's blessed you with in this world, whether it's a little or much, be faithful with it. And don't live for that, but use whatever God's given you to serve him. Another blessing here, and this is not, this is not intended as a, a mean or an opportunity to, pastor's going to preach on giving. Not intended at all, okay? If you have very little and things really are tight, you might think about giving for the Lord's work here at the church. I just don't have any money. Do you have any pennies laying around? Go through your couch, maybe. Find a dime. Wow, that's just not much. Remember the widow. And who was watching? The Lord was. God never says, blessed is the one who gives a lot of money. God says, blessed is a cheerful giver. Give whatever it is that you have. It's an act of worship. You're not doing it to be seen by people. You're doing it to serve the Lord, to glorify him uh, with what he's entrusted to you. Solomon gives a pretty serious talk here. He says, earthly wealth can be taken by the government. You'll never enjoy it if you're never content. And it never is guaranteed to give you lasting happiness. So Christian, fear the Lord. When you fear the Lord, you will have a right view and response to government. You're not going to be surprised. You're going to be content with the Lord's provision. Whatever the Lord's given you, you'll be content with that and you'll not be covetous. Live for Christ and trust in him. Don't hoard it. That's not your reason. That's not your aim for living. Your aim for living is to live for Christ and to live for him.